Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, Sean. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, Corey. Thanks for having me. It's a real honor. It's actually kind of come full circle here that I've listened to you forever, and now that I'm on your podcast, it's a real honor. So thanks for having me. Yeah, right on. Well, we did some special stuff to get on this one, and it's really <laughs> exciting to talk about it. For everybody that's listening right now, this is our second video in a three-part series of The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. And I really want to talk about this is the Warner Robbins portfolio. I'll call it teamwork makes the dream work because that's really what how you put deals together. It is not as very rarely a single person game. It's more often that you have multiple people that bring different skill sets to the game and you kind of Voltron or if that's for, I don't know if it's Voltron anymore, but like for me, it's Voltron. Things come together to make the big one, right? <laughs> what is that for you, Sean? Cause you're only like 17 or something. No, no, <laughs> other than that, probably Power Rangers. They all come together. Oh, that's right. There you go. Power Rangers. Yeah. Or Transformers, whatever you want to say. Okay. Either way, right? So before we get into that, though, let's just kind of give you, I want to hear your story just to understand where you come from and what you've been doing. And it's a really cool story. So bro, share who you are, man. Yeah. Yeah. Again, thanks for having me. Honor to be here. And my background is similar to Corey's in the sense that I started off in a traditional finance arena. So think financial services, worked for one of the top, what we call in that industry asset manager, which is different from what real estate considers asset management. It's someone, think of like your fidelities of the world, vanguards who manage money in like stock funds, bond funds. And so that's what I did. Went to school for finance, got a job at this firm, was super excited at the time. I thought this was the way to help people grow wealth for their future, for the retirement. And for a while, I have the way to do it until you really get down to the nuts and bolts of it. And you realize people who are making money are the fund managers. Those are the guys who are making the money everyone that's working at that firm. And that's what, not everyone, but a lot of them that's, they care about their pocket and not the investor. And to me, it just didn't sit well. It's the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. I was just watching it with my kids. Great movie. Right? He's sitting there <laughs> banging his chest. He's like, your goal is to get their money into your pocket. It's true. It had nothing to do with the investor. It's true. These big firms are taking, they're putting their clients in one position and they're taking a bet which is the opposite position. So if their clients are long, they're taking a short position. So they're essentially betting that their clients are going to fail. Their positions are going to fail. It also gets in the pay-to-play arena where these firms are paying to be put on financial advisors recommended list. So quote-unquote recommended because it's only recommended because these firms are paying like a million bucks to get on there. And it just didn't sit well with me. And, and even beyond that, to grow wealth, it's not the most cost-effective, not the most tax-efficient way to do so. And I'd always loved real estate and took a course at a local university in Boston and took night classes while I was working and really learned the real estate finance aspect of it and realized this is the way to grow wealth. Because as Corey, I know, has told many times on this podcast, it's a way to grow wealth. And it's the way the most wealthiest people on the planet do it because it's tax efficient. You can protect your money from Uncle Sam 
and historically is way less volatile than the stock market. So what I did is then I just researched it, thought I was going to go to the corporate world. But then I said, what am I doing? I'm sick of working for someone else's dream. I want to work for my own dream. And so to do that, I'd been building a portfolio of small multis along the side, but to do it, I had to leave quote unquote Wall Street because I couldn't be a licensed under FINRA and the SEC and then also raise money on the side for real private real estate deals. So I actually had to leave my job and I don't recommend that to everyone. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not easy cutting off that solid income source, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And now I'm here, you know, raising money for syndications. I'm finding deals for syndications and now soon to be operating big multifamily deals, which I give Corey all the credit for that. He's paved the way for me and he knows it. I'm very thankful for him. So that's where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. So what a great story, man. So I'll embellish a little bit. So Sean came to me. You've been in my mastermind for what, almost a year and a half? No, I think it's over two years now. About two, two years. years. November of 19. Yeah. Yep. Now, and he's been diligently paying. So listen, he's been paying, right? And <laughs> he finally got, I mean, it took me two years before when I first started yep. till I found a deal, till I was ready, right? It's really weird. You got to go through like a little bit of a growth factor. It takes a minute. Get it all in. It's the law of the first deal too. It's the hardest one to get the first deal, right? And once you do get it, then you're like, wait a second, I think I can do it again, right? And it's really about putting Voltron together every time. So on this particular deal, Sean, you went out and hustled. We were talking about like you were raising money, like, hey, I'm we're going to raise the money. And I teach raise money first. I always stress raising money is the most important thing for you to master is the longest running pad as well because it takes a long time to get capital conditioned to give you money. So sometimes the easiest way, and so after the first year, I was like, dude, let's pivot. Go out and just go find a deal, right? Yeah. Just go find a deal. And that's what you start focusing on. And lo and behold, within like, I feel like six months of that, you came to me and you're like, dude, I think I got a deal. Yeah. And that was that Warner Robins portfolio. So talk to me about how you found that deal. Yeah. Well, listeners, I'm sure you're aware of this. And for those that aren't, Corey has a book called Copy Your Way to Success. And I've actually been very good at that. If I want to achieve something, I find someone who's achieved that and is very good at it. And I just model the way they did that as best as I can and put my flair on it. Because I think you got to be original as well. Yep. And so that's what I did. Corey told me this is how he would find a deal. And so that's exactly what I did. And what that entailed was I reached out to Corey's banker, which he is now my banker as well. And I reached out to Aaron's his name, reached out to Aaron and asked for a list of brokers, commercial real estate brokers in my target markets that were actually doing business, not just a list of brokers, but ones that actually transacted in the last 12 months. And I took that list and then I filtered it from the top performer down and then based off a unit count compared to sales volume, you can kind of tell what class they're in. Obviously, less units and higher volume, that's definitely A class. And then more volume, less acquisition price, usually a B or C. I kind of went after B and C and targeted those brokers. And what I would do is I would send an email introducing myself. And then as Corey teaches, I leveraged using a track record, what he calls a credibility kit. So since I was looking to partner with Corey on these deals I was going to find, I used his credibility kit, 
with my branding. Corey allowed this to happen, obviously. So I would send the credibility kit with that track record and then what I was looking for. So B, C, class, value add, and then more details. But that would be the introduction. And then I would pick up the phone and call them right after I sent the email. And if they would pick up, I would have a conversation with them, obviously tell them what I'm looking for, but spend most of the call talking about them, not really about business, what they like. And then I would say, hey, are you going to be in so-and-so market next week? I'm flying down. And they'd be like, yeah, okay, let's grab a coffee. And so I would get on a plane and I would fly down. And it's crazy what happens when you actually fly down and meet them in person, especially when you fly down and meet them without a prospect of looking at a deal. I had one broker ask me, so what brings you to the market? And I was like, what do you mean? I flew down here to see you. And he's like, really? That's impressive. I'd start building a rapport with these guys. And I would go back home and I would handwrite them a thank you letter for meeting with me, send it to them. And then I would follow up. And that meant a lot to them because they're used to people just blasting them with emails. All the time. Maybe phone calls if they're lucky. Hey, what deals you got? Hey, hook me up. You got any off-market deals? It's like, come on, man. You really think they're going to send you an off-market deal the first time you're talking to them? It doesn't work like that. First, they need to know who you are. They need to trust you. And then they need to like you too. And so that's the way I kind of did things. And then I would follow up usually monthly, sometimes more if I was feeling a good vibe on the relationship. So for this one, I had fostered a relationship actually in the Charlotte market. And the way this team works is they share their commission. So it's mm -hmm. not necessarily you kill, it's everyone eats the proverbial like big kill. So they referenced me to this broker in the Atlanta market because they had a deal that I would like since they all get paid on everything. They're proactive in sharing. And so then I flew down and met this guy, this broker, and brought our property management company with me to actually look at the deal. And afterwards, he was like, wow, like I've never had anyone do this thorough like preliminary tour. And he was just really impressed. And so I knew he was going to take our offer serious if we could get the number they were looking for. And so then we sent them an offer. And what was really cool about it, to go off this whole thing about relationships, is they realized one of the deals in the credibility kit was a deal they sold. And it was a student housing deal that Corey had bought a few years ago. And so they knew we were the real deal. They're like, oh, these guys can close. So I knew that put us even higher up on the list of taking us really seriously. So that's just a hit home. It's all about relationships and leverage whenever you can. And I'm lucky enough to be able to leverage Corey's. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. If you want to learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. Luckily, saw that credibility kit, right? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Hey, bad for Corey for not following up. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, I think, the piece that really put us in the door, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, you were already going to be in the best and final, yep. right? Now, here's the beauty of this. I am actually clueless to everything until you say, Corey, I need you to get on a best and final call. <laughs> right? And I was like, hold on, give me the metrics again. Right? Yeah. Because I've been really letting you handle it, right? Right. You're kind of just driving the bus, driving the bus, driving the bus to get to that point. And then it was the time for me to show up a little bit. But that was a great call. Right? He went over some stuff, and then he realized immediately that we knew each other, and he's like, oh, yeah. And what came up in the conversation is that University Crossing deals was hairy. It was yeah. really weird, and we still closed. 
Like I still made sure I closed that deal, but dude, it was not easy. And I made that happen. But normally that kind of deal would probably have fell apart, but I made it happen. And that meant a lot to the broker. Yeah. I think he looked at that saying, because when things go south, they want to know that you're not just going to cut bait. And so I think that helped us in that deal, right? Yeah, definitely. So then he calls, what does it feel like when you got that offer accepted? Oh, it's amazing. It was funny. We were actually at a mastermind meeting when it got accepted. Oh, that's right. You called me up actually, because we do these things in Corey's mastermind where we do hot seats, where we present what we've done the last quarter, kind of like an accountability and also like a given and ask type thing. And so Corey called me up to do my hot seat presentation. And right as I was walking up, my phone went off. And luck, I wasn't even going to bring my phone. I just saw it sitting on the table and it lit up. And it was one of those weird things. I'd been thinking that about that all day, like, oh, it's going to happen today. And then, yeah, it was one of the most amazing feelings. So then I went outside, took You're the like, call. hold on, I got to take this call, right? We're like, it's the deal. I'm like, he's going to get the deal. And you walk back in, everybody's like looking at you. Did you get it? And you're like, got it. Yeah, I raised my hands like the Rocky. <laughs> it was awesome, man. Yeah, it's a great feeling. Great feeling. So it's like, man, won the deal. So I don't think I've, at that point, had I been to the property? No, you hadn't been to the property yet. It was just myself and our property management company. Construction management company, yep. Then we arranged another trip to go out there. No, we put it under contract. Yeah, we did. And then we just did due diligence. Right, yeah, because this is probably important to let the listeners know is really listen and ask and listen for what the seller wants. Because we were pretty much in the ballpark on the acquisition price, but they really wanted hard earnest money, like higher than we were at. And essentially it was like, if you put it there, you guys get this deal. So always listen to what they really want. Sometimes it's price, sometimes it's terms. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like 200K, right? Yeah. 200 and then 100 after due diligence. If we want to extend, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what we did is you wrote up a great contract, which was, what I teach is my standard 45 day or 30 business days contract with, or, and then that's the due diligence period. Then another 30 days to close. And then we also gave ourselves a 30 day extension, mm-hmm. which by the way, we ended up using, right? Yeah. And now the 30 day extension, I think cost us a, an extra $100,000 of earnest money to get it, to get that extra 30 days. So we were actually under contract for like 120 days. Yeah, it was a long one. It was a long closing. It felt like forever. And the reason because of that, which we're going to talk about in next episode of raising capital and how we put it together, it was just a slow process for us to get into this one group, which we knew would go and fund the deal. And we just needed to make it, we got late to that party. And so our whole timeline kind of changed. But ultimately, this group funded the whole deal. So Sean didn't have to worry as much now. And it's cool because he called Uncle Corey, right? So Uncle Corey showed up and I stroked the 200 check, but I really didn't stroke the $200,000 check. Again, this is all about like, what did you say? Not Transformers. What was the other one? Either Power Rangers. It's Power Rangers. So we Power Rangered it up. Yeah. I called my friend Mike Hambright, right? And Mike's like, I was like, hey, Mike, listen, I got this deal. Because at that point in time, I think I've got like, four deals kind of under contract and you start putting 300, 300, 300, you got a million dollars out in money. So you're like, dude, <laughs> can someone else do this for me, please? So I called Mike and said, Hey Mike, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you a little bit of GP and you come in with the earnest money. He's like, no problem. Right? So he sends the earnest money because he knows and trusts what we're doing. 
So he funds the earnest money. You find the deal. And then I've got this other gentleman, Mark Delator, that I know has the right source of capital for this deal. And he had been talking to me, saying, Corey, I really want to do a deal with you. Let me know when you have one that's kind of in this range. And so this one fit that bill exactly. So that's kind of what we did next. But we went on the due diligence. So that was really my first time truly on site. I'd seen all the financials up until that point. And because you're using my construction manager, I called them and got the download. He's like, no, no, this is a really good deal, Mm -hmm. right? But it was still $2.2 million rehab, which is like a lot of money, right? That's a lot of money for like rehab. And so I was a little nervous, but I remember getting to that property. I was like, oh, oh, this is a deal, right? I mean, to me, it very clearly set a deal. Now, the only thing I didn't like, which I still don't like, is the Briar deal, right? Yeah. The redheaded stepchild property, which needs the most love, right? But I was telling on the first episode I just did, Sean, I was talking about how we raised the salaries because what they currently have, we actually raised it almost $80,000 in salaries because we wanted to add another really full-time maintenance guy that's going to be dedicated to that Briardale property, right? And it's part of our recipe for success on that project. So, Sean, let me ask you this. In going through, what was your biggest lessons or takeaways from doing and getting one under contract? Obviously, partnerships are number one because you're not going to take one down by yourself. Even if you have all the money in the world, you need that experience unless you're just going to stroke a check without debt. But I would say partnerships and also just to just being persistent. There's so many people reaching out to these brokers and there's so many people that already have pre-existing relationships, but you just got to set yourself apart. And that involves flying down and meeting these brokers in person. And don't just talk business, have them talk about themselves. You know, Everyone loves to talk about themselves, especially brokers. They're usually that type A personality that love to talk about themselves, which is nothing wrong with that. So just get them talking and then they feel comfortable with you. And then try to find a connection. Like I know Corey stresses this. He loves motorcycles, Harley. So he finds brokers that love that and he connects with them. I, you know, I like golf and skiing. So I connect with that. And this guy, I'm going to go play golf with him later this month. I'm going to fly down there. We're going to play a day of golf. He already told me he has some deals coming up that he's going to show me. So that's what it's about. It's about building relationships and continue to foster them yeah. because they'll just keep feeding you. And then when you go to sell that deal, you better bring that deal back to the broker that sold it to you. Without a doubt, right? Yeah. Because they'll do well for you, right? They know it, they understand it, and they'll see the value, right? So I think that's totally agreed. Now, so we closed, right? So we closed on the property. Now we're just now starting to get into operations and you're going to be a part of that piece. And we've just kind of started with the, the operations segment, but what's your goals and what are you hoping to get out of that whole process there? Yeah. So the great thing about this business is you can be a lot of different things. You can just be a capital raiser. You can just be a deal finder. You can be an operator. You can be all of them. And I'm really excited to learn operations. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to continue to look for deals and find deals because that's my background was building relationships with people, entertaining them. That's what I did in finance and building that type of relationship. So I'm definitely going to do that, but I'm super excited about learning operations. And personally, from knowing Corey for over two years now and listen to his podcast, reading his books and all that. I know Corey is one of the best operators out there. So I'm really excited to learn operations. And that's where I want my future to go. I want to operate as well as, as find deals and bring in capital. Yeah. And really the next piece of it, right? So finding deals is more math, right? 
Construction management is a little bit more understanding just that. How much does things cost to repair truly? And how much is it really going to take, right? So we third-party that out currently to our construction management company. And then operations is really holding your property management company's hand and letting them give you enough feedback, but you still got to like hold the line. They're always coming back to you for approvals. Yes, no, maybe, right? Or what do we think about that? And a lot of times what I've learned in the operations side is you've got to ask lots of questions, right? What is this going to happen? How are we going to do this? What are we going to do this? Tell us, what do you think about that? And then let everybody give you the feedback. And eventually then you make your, what do you think is the best choice, right? Of how to move forward. I think right now we're doing weekly calls. Why? Because we just took over the property right? Now, is it going to change drastically from week to week? No, but we just want to keep our fingers on the pulse because we just bought the property. We need to make sure we talk about the people. Is there any problems with anything else? Our last call was real quick, right? We like right. lasted all of like seven minutes, Yeah, but it's because nothing was really moving at that point in time. Uh, so sometimes they can get a lot longer. Sometimes they're just short. Here's what I got to report. Nothing's really changed. We're, we're looking fine. We're pretty much filled up. We're like 95%. And then we're just talking about, like, make sure we have the vacants ready to start turning. And then we're actually, we said, no, let's not turn those. Let's go fill them up because we still need to do the exterior work so we can lead. We got to bring them in because we want to be able to get the most rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If we do all the, just the interior stuff and not fix the exterior stuff, we may be losing out because we got to get the shock and all. Yep. Right? So that thing's just coming in. Yeah. And that's something you wouldn't know unless you had the experience. So that's what I'm really excited about. And it makes perfect sense. People judge a book by its cover. So they're not going to come to your property. It doesn't matter how good it looks on the inside. If it looks like junk on the outside, they're not yep. going to be. Get being, draw them in. And then yeah. also it puts kind of all your neighbors on notice, right? Oh, right. Thanks. And like I said on the last episode is that a lot of people, they're super excited that they're getting work done on the property. That makes them happy. They're actually living there. They chose to live there. They like living there. And then when we start to renovate, everybody wants to be a part of that. And more than half of them, maybe 60%, will stay and pay a premium to be there because they want to be a part of a property that's doing well. And so that's an easy way. But you got to do that exterior stuff first, and then you can start doing the interior stuff second. Cool. So, Sean, what are your dreams? Where do you see yourself five years from now? Five years from now. Oh, I love this one. Five years from now, I've got some ambitious goals. So right now I'm at 390 units. Five years, I'd like to be at 5,000 units and I would like to be syndicating and operating my own deals. Obviously still have to partner with people because that's how the game is played. But I would love to be operating and leading my own deals by at that point. And I see having a team of people that right now I have one partner, but I would see that we'd have a team of people in five years. And I'd be living, as Corey says, the sunsets and palm trees life, except probably to get to 5,000 units, you wouldn't be, but you could be. So, <laughs> but, I think that's perfect. Yeah. That's a great goal. And what books are you reading right now? What's a book that you've been reading that has inspired you? So the book I'm reading right now is Am I Being Too Subtle by Sam Zell. And for those who don't know Sam Zell, he's kind of the father or godfather of REITs, big real estate investor, and anyone who hasn't read it, I would highly recommend that book. He just has a lot of insight. He's gone through a lot of different market cycles, real estate market cycles, and has a lot of amazing insight. Another great book that I would highly recommend is 
the Extreme Ownership book and also the Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko. He's a former Navy SEAL. Great book. If you're not a business owner, it teaches you that everything comes back on you. And when you take ownership of everything, great things will come. And that's what I try to do. Are you ready for retirement? The majority of Americans are not. Failing Social Security and dated financial planning practices put strains on many retirees' finances. 46% of Americans admit they are not taking steps to prepare for the likelihood they outlive their retirement savings. Luckily, it's not too late. Diversify your portfolio. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. To learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. Oh, that's lovely, man. I love it. Good books. It's funny. I'm actually reading The Cycle of the Gift. Oh, cool. It's a way different book that I've ever read, but I'm 47 years old right now. And what matters to me now is like when I talk about the generational wealth is how do I pass it on? (laughs) And so The Cycle of the Gift talks about how wealthy families give and not just the schematics, but it's more important to understand who they're giving, like transferring of wealth, right? And you have to be a good giver, but you also have to condition the receivers to understand why to make them good receivers of the gift, right? Meaning you can ruin people with money, you really can. Or people will be like, oh, he's buying me off. Or, oh, my dad doesn't care because he's just doing this to not pay any taxes, right? It gets really weird. It gets into all the subtleties. And what's mainly solved about it is through communication. Yeah. Because people don't talk about money. So these real wealthy people are just cutting checks and send them out. They don't put anything behind it or why or what they're doing because they're afraid that someone's going to judge them. And just on the other side, they're like, talk it to me, right? And then the other people that gave the money is like, how come they didn't say thank you? And the people are like, am I supposed to send a thank you card? How do we handle the money? What do we do? What do we say? Anyways, it's fascinating to me. That's really cool. (laughs) That's great stuff to know too, because you wouldn't even know to think of that when you're in that situation. You'd think that you could just stroke a check and everything would be fine, but it's clearly not. Everyone knows people that are trust fund, you know, kids that aren't so great. And that's clearly stems from. So that's interesting. Yeah. It's been a really interesting read, but it's making me aware right? Yep. So I always like sometimes there's things that you know, and there's things that you don't know. And there's things that you don't know that you don't even know. <laughs> right. right. And I'm in that realm right now with this. So it's really cool to be enlightened, little knowledge of, wow, okay. And by no means am I that there yet. Just like you, Sean, you've got some pretty lofty five-year goals. I do too. I think what it's taken me 15 years to do and achieve in the next five years, I'll quadruple it. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think we have got 2,000. I've been, hey, Sean, it's taken me 15 years to get to 2,000 units. I'm a little over 2,000, but still, I think we'll quadruple it, two, four, six, eight, almost 8,000 units in the next five, right? And because it just takes, it's the law of attraction and, and a belief, right? Yeah. And why not? And with that comes a lot of wealth. Yeah, it does. Right? And freedom. And, and freedom and just everything. I don't even care about the money anymore. But I like to keep score, like playing the game. Yep. And I want to build a team. And I want to build a company. And so we've said it on a couple of podcasts that we're moving out of the home office, finally. And didn't don't have to do it. I could choose to play small and do great. But like we want to play a little bit bigger and then just become and elevate 
myself to the CEO where I'm not the man anymore. I don't want to be the man. I just want to have the team be the men and women. And I'm just the guy that leads the ship, but I'm not nothing special. I want to hire way more cool people than me. Yeah. And the cool thing that's going to happen about that is you're going to create this huge empire and it's obviously going to create wealth, but you're going to make other people wealthy that are working on within your team. And that's probably going to be one of the coolest feelings is that you get to see you built these people, you help foster their success and they're wealthy because of your company. And that's got to be an amazing feeling. To me, I think that's what it is. That to me is the journey. Well, listen, brother, I want to thank you for coming in and sharing this little Warner Robin story of how you got real focused and really you just took everything that I taught, which was just go out and meet people, get out, develop those relationships. You did a great job in doing that. You fostered them and it's going to lead to you even more and more deals. So I couldn't be more proud of you and just really my hat's off because I know how hard this business is to break into. And my friend, you're there. Thanks, Corey. You've knocked on it. You've opened the door and walked right through, brother. So I see you hitting your goal in that five-year mark. I'm really excited to watch what you do. For anybody that wants to know how to get hold of Sean Winslow, where do they go, brother? Because I know you've also had your own podcast as well. That's right. And that's thanks to Corey. So if anyone wants to get on this business, I would highly recommend his mastermind. And I'm not just plugging him. I truly mean it. I wouldn't have a podcast without Corey's advice. And it's I'm already seeing the benefits. You get everything from just a following to networking. It's amazing. Multifamily Money Podcasts on anywhere you can listen to podcasts or watch podcasts on YouTube as well. And then you can find me on Instagram. Handle is at Shauna Wins. That's where I'm most active. And then our website's greenbriarcg.com. And Corey, if you don't mind, I can uh, leave a little, if they text a message. Yeah. I put together kind of my outline of how I found a deal and it goes into a lot of detail. Oh, great. If anyone's interested in that, just text DEALS, D-E-A-L-S, to 415-528-7403. Again, that's 415-528-7403, and that's text DEALS. Perfect. Wonderful, brother. Listen, again, thank you so much, guys, Arshad, for coming in and really just giving the realness of what it takes to get a deal. Very candid, very open, just like, here's what I did. I went out and did the work. And you had to underwrite quite a few deals to find that deal, right? Oh, yeah. We're still underwriting a lot of deals now to find the next one. So it's it's (laughs) never ending. (laughs) Guys, Sean is a testament to when you're persistent and you work with purpose, you will find what you need. It always shows up. It always appears, right? But the first place that has to appear, it's in between those little two ears. And that's your brain, your mind. Your mind is such a magnet. It attracts all those things that you feed it. And I'm telling you, you've got to be feeding your mind with powerful, positive thoughts. When you do that, I'm telling you, nothing is impossible. If you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is possible. (laughs) 